we decided just to take a massive gamble, basically. And we sort of just walked out of these really good, high-profile, well-paying jobs and think naively thought that would be all right. Typically, how many proposals did you use to win when you just sent them out? 30 to 50%. Some people would just not get back. You think you know you're doing it right because it's worked and there was nothing that wasn't working. So then trying it in a way that felt slightly unnatural, it's amazing how quick something feels unnatural becomes very natural. It's made getting new business and working with new people an enjoyable process. Just the change of mindset is such a powerful thing. It's not about clients and money and stuff, it's about helping people. It's just like a big ecosystem that's really exciting. This week's episode of the Creative Courage podcast is a conversation with some of my previous clients that run an audio branding agency. The reason I love this conversation, I think that you're going to get some value from it, is because the founders of this agency are very typical creatives. They came from music and radio backgrounds, and they've worked with some of the biggest music artists in the world, from Tiesto and Deadmau5 all the way through to Armin Van Buren and Chicane. So what we worked on together is really helping them to develop some of the core principles and the core ways of thinking about running a business that they said transformed the way that they sell and how much money they charge. So in a fairly short period of time, they managed to double their rates. But more importantly, the founders, especially Andy, really fell in love with sales and business development, which in his words, he thought he would never do. So sit back, and relax and listen to this conversation between myself, Nick, Alex, and Andy of Distorted. So, gents, welcome to the Creative Courage podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we dig in, I'd love to just give everyone an idea of, first of all, what you do, but also a little bit about your background in terms of like how this business started. So whoever feels kind of most confident with the elevator pitch can go first and then we'll <laughs> dig into background. Oh, go on, Andy. I feel like you've got this down to a T. All right. So my name's Andy Durant. I'm here with Alex and Nick and we run and founded Distorted. So our background is, well, myself and Nick were always music artists and DJs, so music producers, remixers. We were kind of lucky to be residents at places like Gatecrasher in Sheffield during that a whole like super club era and also very regular places like Cream in Liverpool and God's Kitchen in Birmingham, Ministry of Sound in London. And we got to travel all around the world and do lots of amazing stuff and spent all our time kind of locked in or basement studios making music. And at the same time, doing the kind of specialist electronic music radio shows for Galaxy, which was a big kind of network of radio stations across the UK at the time, all throughout the 2000s, which became Capital. So we moved on to Capital then. And nowadays, um, KISS as well, I'm kind of involved in, in history and do a show there. So mine and Nick's background was in music and radio and DJing. And at the same time, Alex, would you want to just explain, just interject with what, what your job was at the same time? Yeah, so my background has, has always been in audio and radio and started off in sort of from hostel radio and commercial radio in Brighton, which is where I'm from, and always just had a love for, for what 
radio offered, specifically audio over video, really. And uh, I moved up to Leeds for university and got a foot in the door at Galaxy, as it was then, like like Andy was saying. And that's where our paths crossed for the first time. And this was sort of early 2000s. And I sort of, whereas Andy and Nick spent, had the sort of, it was sort of like the DJing and then the radio, I guess mine was firmly in that radio fold. And I spent my career just building sort of my way up and, and working my way up through on, on the radio ladder, doing a lot of sound design, doing a lot of show production, and then into management. Before sort of leaving to come to Distorted, I was running multiple capital stations across the country, looking after some big name talent and sort of dictating, I guess, the direction of those stations. And that is my background in audio. And I guess then that segs nicely into where we've sort of built Distorted in this sort of audio on demand world of audio, where you're we're sort of taking what we've learned from radio and applying that to, you know, this sort of new world of podcasting, even though it's not new. Yeah. And what would you say, like, if you had to describe what you do now in a nutshell? To sort of go back to why we started it, I guess, is because... So Alex was busy running the Capital stations and we were doing the, the Friday and Saturday night shows there. But we were also, we just had like babies and little children and we were still, like I think, we had, I think we'd had our third child who was only a baby and we were still like trying to fly off to like Ibiza and Mallorca for days at a time. And, you know, there comes a point where we're like, how long have we got to do this that is like realistic and how old do we want to be doing this too as well? And also we'd had... I don't know, we just felt like very lucky that we'd got to, we'd ticked off all of the like boxes of things we wanted to do when we're, you know, we met when we we're kind of in our very early 20s and we had no idea what we were doing. In fact, we went and paid for a studio, didn't we? Like an office. And it was like 10 grand a year. We didn't even know what to do. We just sort of sat down the first, paid all the bills on credit cards, sat down the first day and we we're like, Right. Yeah, we just had two IKEA desks. We sat opposite each other. And the guy, the, the whole sort of fun thing was building the office, building the studio, and then we just sat opposite each other. And we're like, "What are we going to do now?" Then <laughs> and, and we sort uh, of came up with distorted there. Didn't we? It was like loosely yeah. a sort of DJ agency and a bit of radio production and stuff. But to, to head back to about 2013ish, we'd like, we'd done doing a was it 13? Yeah, we'd done a good few years of capital. But we decided just to take a massive gamble, basically, and we sort of just walked out of these really good, high-profile, well-paying jobs and think naively thought that we'd be all right and that we'd continue earning money. But that wasn't quite the case, was it? We just thought we'd get in touch with our original contacts and the people we knew in our networks and say to them, do you fancy us making your radio show? And then turn around and go, yeah, cool. Here's 10 grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it didn't actually quite work that way. And it took a good six months of sort of nothing yeah, before the momentum kicked in. Little. Yeah, but once we got a few key names on the roster... It's just sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, and who were some of those big names that you got on at the beginning that you think now, looking back, were quite key to that snowballing? Defected, mm -hmm. they're still with us now. Paul Van Dyke, still with us. Chicane, mm -hmm. still with us. And um, were, these are all people, especially people like Chicane and Paul Van Dyke. They were kind of artists that we'd worked with, and we'd DJed with them, or we'd made music with them, or we kind of so they came from our network. And Defected actually came from. Obviously, we kind of knew them from what we were we'd done shows with them or whatever else, but they they actually got referred to us by another kind of almost like a rival company who said, "Oh, we don't we don't really do this kind of thing, but if you're looking for radio syndication, maybe speak to these guys who've just set something up." And they turned out to be our one of our most treasured and, and valuable clients, didn't they? Yeah, definitely amazing, amazing to watch them grow. Yeah, and so you're at this point where you've kind of got a few big names, and then the business evolves. So just kind of talk me through like how it evolved, and then take me to today like what you actually do now so it's, it's probably worth 
understanding that neither me nor Nick had any ounce of like business acumen really at all. I did, did I did an A level in business studies, but I didn't turn up for much of college because I was kind of DJing and you know kind of I discovered this world of electronic music. So we had no real experience in it. I, you know, I mean, think Nick had done some door to door Hoover sales and stuff like <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Dropped him right. <laughs> you did all sorts of weird jobs, yeah, didn't you? Like lorry drivers, things, mate. But yeah, but when it came, we'd always essentially work for ourselves all together. So we'd never hired anybody, we'd never interviewed anybody, didn't know about HR or anything, how anything really works because we never really worked for any other companies as well. I know we, we were working Muddled through for, our um, taxes. Yeah, yeah. Struggled with HMRC for years, all that kind of stuff. We just yeah. we literally didn't really know what we were doing, but we just sort of winged it. And like Nick said, the first six months were, you know, it was literally sell our cars, live off Aldi baked beans and really kind of panic a little bit. And it gradually started building little bits and we were trying to, you know, just live off it. It was certainly a bit of a war of attrition, but also a bit of an exponential curve on it. It was, you know, you could see as soon as it starts snowballing quite quickly, like I said, as soon as you got some of those bigger clients on. And to sort of cut a bit of a long story short, we got to a point after, how long was it before we managed to, before we got in contact with Alex? I reckon about 2015. Summer 2015? Yeah. Just less than a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And we'd we'd been kind of hard at it and trying to build it up. And I mean, Alex was essentially our sort of boss at Capital, but we all used to sit on a table together, a big group of us. And it wasn't that sort of relationship, was it? We're all kind of a bit like, it was just, it was an amazing place to work actually in Joseph's Well in Leeds. And we all kind of got on really well and socialized together. But we'd, we'd always said when we left, like, as soon as we can, can afford you, we'll be kind of knocking on the door. And it got to a point where we're like, right, well, me and Nick have reached the end of what we feel like we can sort of do in terms of we need help, we need a different vision and we need a, a kind of third partner. So we sort of messaged Alex. I was like, are you still happy in your job? I can or? remember we were driving across <laughs> the M62. We'd had a meeting in Manchester and he was going, go on, send in the text. Go on, send it. Just say like, are you happy at Capital? <laughs> I think that's all it said. And it, the answer comes back and says, why? <laughs> we met up and we had a chat and we managed to sort of I think we must have managed to convince you that it was to to come over on lower pay and, and yeah less security and, and all that stuff. You know what though, but I I remember that really distinctively and um, actually even just by that first message getting excited and I think I can actually pinpoint that moment where I was like ah I'm excited by this mm. and like you say it was like for less money less security and like you know when when you're used to working for like a big sort of like corporate machine, which Global Radio, the sort of parent company of Capital is, you are in that bubble of like, oh, and they've like, you know, you've got a company car and like you've got a company phone and you've got this, that and the other. It was probably like, oh yeah, I'm really excited by this. Great, great, great. It's like, oh, it's pay cut. Oh, is this? Oh, is that? But actually it was that excitement and that feel like, yeah, I guess it felt like it was taking a risk because I'd, I'd never done anything like anything that before. And it was the excitement that, and the potential that, was driving everything for me at that mm. point and, and to come aboard and sort of really, yeah, like I maybe had some of that experience that Andy and Nick didn't have from managing and HR and all that sort of stuff. But it's very, very, very different from going from like a big company where you have that support in every element. You know, there's someone who can do that. There's there's legal, there's this, to, oh no, no, it's just you. Like like everything is just you, basically. You yeah. know, it's like you're sort of... So it still actually is winging it, even though you've got that maybe big company experience. You're sort of like, oh, right, okay. Like, yeah, so like 
we just need to do that or I need to do that. And and I think that was part of the fun of it, really, you know, making the mistakes and learning as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give people perspective, obviously, you, you still remember those early days quite vividly. But today, where are you as a business? Like how big is the team and how long has the business been running? So the the sort of the headlines and the fancy things that we throw out are, are, are stuff like, so we are probably the world's biggest producer and supplier of electronic music kind of radio programs, actually probably music programs. We're probably the biggest creator of music radio programs in the world. Certainly the independent one, maybe if you look at the BBC, it might be slightly differently, but we, we you know, we make and work with about 70 different music artists, lots and lots of different brands, organizations, companies, individuals. We do about 10 million downloads of our podcasts each month. And that's collectively across that's like, collectively yeah. across all the kind of different things, but that doesn't include things like SoundCloud and Mixcloud and Spotify and all these different platforms as well. They're all on top of that. So I'm um, probably realistically probably more like 15 million downloads a week. So that's just direct to fan stuff. And then we work with about 450 radio stations all around the world in different countries, different markets, different languages, and they all take various parts of our content. So, yeah, we have like a very, very large audience, actually. It's quite, sometimes we have to kind of sit down and remind ourselves and, and the team as well that actually, you know, ten over 10 million people every single month are pressing the button to listen to our content and m- like so many more are hearing us as they do their commute across Sydney Harbour Bridge. You know, they're going to be listening on the radio to a lot of the stuff that we make here in Leeds. So it's the really, like, important and humbling thing. And it's something we're really proud of, that we're kind of staunchly stuck in the north and stayed here and, and made all this stuff that goes out in all these amazing different countries and cities around the world. Um, and it all gets made here in Leeds. I think that's something that we're really proud of. In terms of the size of the company, we have about, about 14 of us, give or take. You know, there's uh, occasional freelancers that are sort of do bits here and there, but they, they have, the sort of team is between kind of 12 and 14 people right now. Mm-hmm. And that consists of us three directors. And then there's my syndication manager, a big team of producers who specialize in different things, be that different types of music or speech or you know the video editors there's all kinds of people in the team and and that's the sort of buzz these days isn't it the buzz is for us is 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 growing that team and seeing people grow and 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 seeing them achieve amazing things we've been up for a a couple of awards and stuff this year and it's been really nice just to yeah just to kind of watch people get that job satisfaction well i think we're really lucky to do what we do all of us at distorted because we get to kind of make stuff that we're really proud of and then you go out and see the reaction or you watch the reaction online and you get feedback from socials and stuff. Very much just like a really slow version of DJ. And you know, it's like when we used to go and play records in front of thousands of people, which we still do occasionally, but it's like a it's just a slow burn version of that, really. The buzz comes from this idea that audio content, and I guess, you know, more broadly, you know, any content now can be made from any location and we're in a a very glamorous location of uh, the old guard's house to Armley Prison, you know, in the outskirts of Leeds, but we are creating this content that is going on national radio stations that is, yeah, getting broadcast all over the world. And we work with some really big brands and, you know, that could be the NHS, that could be Thomson Reuters, it could be like Ancestry, you know, like all these companies that are now starting to see audio as sexy, which they never really did before. And... They're coming to this, you know, comparatively, this little company in Leeds to go and create their content. And actually, then off the back of that, I think there's also a buzz that feels like now we're sort of growing and getting to a certain size that we feel like we can focus more 
on that idea of team as well. It is like you were saying, Andy, like the, the team is growing mm. because that is, I think, just as important. I think those early days where it's just like, you know, bringing enough just to sort of cover costs and do the bills. And then like that idea of like team was like, oh no, we're just head down focusing but on also our own like, stuff. also like growing as, not just growing the amount of people. I mean, like the, watching like so, people grow yeah. as well. Like the, the, the uh, yeah, that's like, it. The, the sort of ethos of a company, this yeah. culture, the, the you know, the, the all those sorts of things. One of the things I was going to say is that I found really kind of odd this last couple of weeks is, so we are up for the, there's a organization called Prolific North and we're up for the best small team for the like marketing award so we were essentially up for one of the uk's best marketing agencies so best small best small, yeah, best small agency, agency yeah and i was like oh shit are we a, are we a marketing agency <laughs> and it felt like really weird at first when i saw that but in a, like a good way in a really good way because it, it's kind of this sort of thing has just sort of happened to us without us realizing it you know initially and this is one of the things that when we started with you matt that it was very much like okay we are, are we like a, a gun for hire and you come to us and we'll just make you some audio and i think in our heads that's sort of what we thought we were without realizing that we weren't and actually what we do is much more much much more involved and over the over the course of the last few years we've kind of got much more involved with all of the people that we work with and be that the the kind of big a-list artists your people's like you you know your dead mouses or your defectors your big brands and people like that so yeah we kind of found ourselves doing a lot more for them and being much more of a sounding board with them and working on all sorts of areas of their kind of business as well and like alex said the way that audio is is growing so much now and has over the last few years what we do creating these big kind of communities for people through the podcasts and the radio shows and creating these super fans and everything else it is marketing it's just we've never really called it that before so i thought it was a really interesting thing that we were kind of up for this you know, best agency without us ever saying that we're a marketing agency. But one of the things, I mean, maybe you want to talk about, but it's kind of our mindset of what we actually are and what we do, I think has really changed a lot over the last 12 months, hasn't it? Massively so. Yeah. What you were saying there basically is like your perception of yourself as a Mm. business. Because I think that's interesting. Like one of the things that I want to explore, especially with this podcast, is the concept that from the outside things look like very impressive, but often on the inside, Mm. you can have a totally different perception of yourself. And I think what would be an interesting segue is like, what was the point where you decided you needed some help? Because obviously at the start, it was quite clear, maybe you were struggling a bit, but when I met you, you've got an established business, you've got a strong team, you've got A-list clients. What was happening in the business, apart from the fact that Alex had heard me on a podcast, but like what was happening in the business that made you think, Actually, we need a bit of help. Something needs to change here. I'll just preface it. I think I don't think we even knew there was a problem. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think we. Knew, yeah, we didn't identify a problem. But I think what can happen is when we set up the business originally, you have a, an idea of where you want to get to, what you want the business to be. And I think once you start getting to that that place that you'd originally set out, say five, six, seven years ago, it's very easy to start sort of coasting along, and. Then you're sort of looking for the next thing and you're thinking, do we move on to something else or not, not something else, but do we diversify into this or diversify into that? So I think it was, we were looking for guidance about where we needed to be. And again, perception, how can we grow? Yeah. I don't think we realised any of that, did we? We were just sort of sitting, a lot of that was just like, oh, we're just sort of coasting along and we'll work things out as a go. But it was Alex who'd... Yeah, I guess I'd come to Alex. Because like, what was interesting for me is when we chatted... I hadn't actually put two and two together. And then obviously when Andy and Nick came on the call and I did a bit of research, I was like, oh, actually, like I know who these guys are. So I wasn't surprised because I'd worked with people at that level before. But 
what was your impetus for kind of getting in touch? I think simultaneously, I, I wouldn't say off the top of my head, I felt like, oh, we've got a problem. You know, like one of those, like, oh, it's crisis. We need, you know, it was actually a new client of ours at the time, an app called Blinkist. And for those who don't know, Blinkist is one of these apps that sort of condensed down content, basically books into short form, sort of bite-sized chunks that you can sort of consume a whole book in a 15 minute audio book, or you can read it through. And we just started doing some work with them. And as, as part of that, we were going through a lot of other people's podcasts and editing them down to sort of like eight, nine minutes. And I was sort of like had an ear over all that. And a lot of the podcasts were very much, I don't want to call it self-help, but they were like business focused podcasts that were offering insight and valuable free information about, oh, like this. And it got me thinking lots because I was very much in, like, I was just in that project for so long. And every week I'd be like, or I'd be coming to an end a bit like, oh, like uh, I give you an example of like, oh, on one of the episodes was where someone says like email is someone else's to-do list. When someone emails you, like that is someone else's priority. You work going yeah. back like every yeah, week. Like, like that. New little and I was like, oh, that's like really useful. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we're like, that's why we like signed up to Slack and we're like, oh, actually now we're going to say as a company, any internal comms goes through Slack. So we're not emailing each other and it's a bit more instant and stuff like that. And I think it got, got me thinking about like, oh, you know what? I think we're at a stage as a business now where we need to focus a lot on, more on processes, how we can start to get like marginal gains in certain areas. Whereas, yeah, it, before it was just like, God, get a new project. Yeah, get it out the door. And we can start to think about how we run this business more. And I think so that was probably like the general thing. And then, yeah, and you on one of those Blinkist podcasts. And I was like, oh, you know, I've heard about this guy. And it was just like, let's see what he's about sort of thing. Yeah. I think you, you probably work after we've worked together for a year as well. Like, you probably won't be surprised that I was the one who was least like enthusiastic <laughs> yeah. about that. Because I was like, as you know, I have like a real anti like self-help thing. So in my mind, in my uneducated like mind, I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to do like some like self-help guru type thing. Like I, I hate that stuff. And like, like Nick, you consume quite a lot, I'm not in a bad way, but you consume quite a lot. You, you're really interested in that. I mean, like growing yourself and, and, and these sort of things. Yeah, but there's still lots of cringe. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of self-help people out there or that don't come from a proper background of maybe gone on a self-help course, self-help, self-help course and thought, right, I can do this. So they're telling you how to do things, but they've not got the credentials that back it up. They're using someone else's. And we generally thought you were going to come in and sort of look at our clients and go, yeah, you don't want them. You don't want them. Yeah, they're, they're not paying enough. They're not doing this. And it would come in and sort of disrupt what we're doing. Also, we like, thought there could be friction. But also that, like, um, our, our business is so like specialised and it's yeah. so like unique and, and like odd that no one can like understand it. Like, like We're too precious. No one will know how to do it like we can. So I was very much like, I'm going to take some big convincing here. Like this is not... <laughs> This is not for me. I'm too busy. I can't be honest with this kind of thing. And I was like, let's just sit down and have a chat. Yeah. I was like, right, go on then and look at the watch. I'll sit down. And then we had a chat with you. So what changed then? What did change? I think you maybe highlighted, I think back to maybe some of the stuff we've been learning on the course was parroting back some of the things that we were thinking internally and be like, oh yeah, like we'd had a conversation about that or like, yeah, we'd maybe been thinking about that. And so I guess not only did that help guess with rapport but it was like ah yeah he's like he's mentioned something there that we've maybe thought was an issue or not an issue that but that we wanted to be better at you know yeah and i think a few of those happened it was like oh actually yeah there could be something in this yeah i, I, I probably was. still was like 
this is a gamble. Do you know what I mean? Let's just see how it goes. Like, yeah. I'm willing to lo- go along with the ride with this. Yeah. So let's pay up front and commit to a year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was essentially just like, okay, well, we've done it now. So I'm, yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got to do it. Yeah. Like, I think as well, even in the initial calls, you didn't tell us what was going to happen. So it wasn't, I'm going to tell you how to do this. This is what you must mm. we need to do. You should go and do this, blah, blah, blah. It was the questions that sort of, that you were asking us that was making us curious and make ourselves think about things in a different way that maybe identified problems we didn't think we initially had. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you just mentioned, and I think you're at that stage of business where you all were like doing things individually. And I remember one of the first conversations we had, and it might've even been in that initial call where we identified that you were all still quite in the like freelance self-employed mindset. And I think you just said, we got to that point where we realized like, we need to treat this like a business. Like what are the processes? What are we actually doing here? And I think like one of the first big obstacles that we had to overcome was going from that mindset of we're self-employed and we just do stuff ourselves and this is our skill set to actually like, what is the business as a whole? How, how is it being represented to the outside world? What is the product and the service that we offer? Do, like, does that kind of ring a bell? Yeah. Do you feel? Like- 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, it. and actually, even from what Andy was saying about this sort of award that we've been nominated for recently, the fact that it's got like agency in the title, mm-hmm. that I think probably before was like, oh, no, we're not an ag- agency. like, you know, like big companies that have got 100 people and that like work with Rice Krispies. Mm. <laughs> we're not them. Like, we're not an agency, you know? Yeah. And I think now that's, you know, and like, you know, we've started to bring this more back to the team and everything like that. We're trying to sort of instill that. It's like, no, no, we're an agency. And because it's like about we're solving problems here and we're not just going to make you some audio content and sort of, here you go, do what you want with it sort of thing. Yeah. And I know you didn't have like specific problems that were going to sink the business, but do you remember some of the things that were like, maybe frustrations or weren't ideally as you liked. So, I mean, like one of the things that springs to my mind is the number of like small contracts that you had that Mm -hmm. were taking up a lot of your time and things like that. Because one of the things that's interesting is once people go on this journey, they often forget where they were Mm -hmm. when they started it. And because where they are now, they just remember it as like always being like that. But that was a specific example. Can you think of anything else? Like when we first started working together? I think it is that, going back to what Nick mentioned it earlier, we were very much like coasting and whether we'd realised it or not, the start of that exponential curve had like flattened out an awful lot. It was pretty much flatlined. Maybe every six months we'd kind of get a new client. We'd go to Amsterdam at ADE and we'd go to IMS in Ibiza or over in Miami and stuff. And we'd have like a real, oh, let's get some new business kind of thing. But we weren't, we actually weren't focused on new business at all, no, were never. we? Like we were never, never ever once, we were really, which is a really weird thing to say when you sit down and do it, but it's like we never were thinking, oh, where's the next client coming from? What are we going to do as the next business? We were just, we sort of, were a bit complacent in that the phone used to ring, like, and, the, and when it rung, we'd be like, oh, great, well, someone wants to come and work with us, let's start working with them and then forget about it until the phone rung again. I would say about 95% of our um, original roster was via inquiries coming direct to us. Mm. And we we always thought, oh, that would keep going. It, it did keep going, but it was people coming to us wanting something rather than us approaching them with some, with a problem that we can solve for them. Yeah, because I think from the outside, that sounds quite appealing. I think a lot of people want that. Yeah, so yeah. what were some of the disadvantages of that? Well, as you mentioned, a lot of those were clients that maybe we couldn't 
and only with the benefit of hindsight here can we say it, but we, we probably couldn't help them as much as we, you know, as they would they would have needed. Maybe they weren't at the right kind of level. They weren't at that stage in their career where they were ready to do what we could do with them. Um, so there's, there's maybe some, some people like that. There's maybe some people who maybe didn't quite have the budget for it. So we would lower our prices and end up giving them a kind of, you know, a, a service that wasn't the best that it could be it, you know it would help them a little bit but maybe it wasn't doing doing its like maximum thing so we did end up with because the phone was ringing and we just said yes we'd end up with quite a lot of people that maybe weren't a perfect fit for us and I think that's where we were again when we started with you we were a, a, you know a nicely profitable business that from like say from the outside to all intents and purposes was a, well they're absolutely smashing it mm. but I think inside we're just like yeah, it was just it was just trundling along, and there was no kind of vision for it, and we hadn't. No, there was no vision for it, was it? It's just I think, that we hadn't. I think, we were, especially on the music side, we weren't really focused at all. And I think COVID mm. probably hadn't helped that in the sense that it made us sort of like batten down the hatches and probably go into freelance mode even more. That yeah. it's just like right head down. Where can we like cut costs? And where can we gain more money? It was more about like, right, doesn't matter who the client is. Yeah. Like it's about someone wants our service. Yeah. Someone's gonna, not, not, are we a good fit? Yeah. Someone's going to pay us. Why would we turn down money? Right. Yeah. It seems like a stupid thing. Yeah. Which, which, and, and sometimes there are genuinely people who you do your, you know, this happened in the past where you do everything that you can to put them off. It's like, okay, well, this is, we're quite expensive. So this is how much we're going to, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need you to do this, this, and this. Yeah. yeah no problems. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Have sort of run out of things. It's impolite to say no. Now, so <laughs> yeah. just, just take their money. And that, I think that's the funny thing can. about specifically electronic music. There's there's this strange selection of people who maybe like are older who have a DJing, you know, making music as a hobby, there's but just so happen to yeah. be a hedge fund manager and have yeah. so much money. <laughs> yeah, I think you get that in every industry. You know? <laughs> True, you yeah, get people that just aren't everywhere. good at what they do. So we have to they... say no to a lot of people. You know, we do have to. But that wasn't always the case. It right? wasn't always the case. No, mm. it certainly wasn't. Yeah, just I want to touch, like one of the reasons I changed the name of the podcast to Creative Courage is because like whenever we were interviewing our clients afterwards, they said the one thing that this process has really given them is confidence. And I think like confidence often comes through courageous actions. So actually saying no to people, especially when you're in a place where maybe actually that money would be quite nice or is going to help pay the staff is quite a courageous thing to do doubling your prices, saying you're now an audio branding agency, all of the things that you've done over the last 12 years, like they're actually quite courageous things to do. So I just want to talk to that for a second, because I think one of the things that I want people to get listening is not just like, oh, this is a great case study. These guys were here and now they're here and everything's hunky-dory. It's like, what were the times, those distinctions in that process where maybe initially there was some resistance because you were like, oh no, this isn't a good way to go or we haven't done it like this in the past but then when you pushed yourself through something that was like a little bit uncomfortable it actually made a lot of sense and there was a lot of benefit can you think of a few things yes 100 percent. you want me to go first yeah, yeah, it, it might would, be the would, same thing it would it would be giving sort of live presentations right because we never ever did that we'd have a chat with someone again going back to these kind of events that happen in different countries around the year we'll go and we'll have a sit down have a coffee with someone or a beer and we'll have a chat about what we do and it'd be like oh, yeah yeah we'll email you a little proposal about what we could do and that was it that was what we did wasn't yeah. it and then you were like you know, we kind of went on this journey with you and it's all about kind of sitting down with people and never sending them, 
you know, never ever send them like a PDF about, you know, kind of what you do and hope they'll get back to you. It's like be in front of them and give them something engaging and talk to them. And, and we were like, nah. <laughs> No, not, not up for that at that all. That was the classic of like, that is extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, it's so much so like easier and less like sort of confrontational yeah. to just be like, oh, and this is the cost. Yeah. And like, you know. So yeah, the presentation, we never really done anything like that. And, and, and even right up probably until the first time that we did one. It's only going back like a few months now. You know, it took us probably nine or 10 months to get to a point because there's a lot of learning to do before that, to get to a point where we're comfortable doing that. And now me and Nick smash through them every week now and we just like really enjoy them. And it's not, I think our problem was, right, we come from a, a very creative, a very music background. And Alex as well, like we're all from a very, a non-business background, yeah. So the idea of like sort of selling something is horrible. Like you can't, if you don't live in our sort of world and you've kind of maybe worked in sales or anything like that like i'm sure that you can't get your head around it you're just like so pathetic but it's not it's like it's just something that makes us cringe it makes us feel horrible the idea of selling something like i didn't like shop assistants asking me if i need any help that pisses me off mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's really weird I'm not, I, I appreciate that it's kind of a weird mindset but it is how a lot of us kind of think so yeah, so yeah this idea of sort of directly selling someone was awful so that was a major problem for us and, and the the big click was that we're not selling anything we're telling people how we work with people we're showing them some case studies about it we're talking to them it's a communication like is this the sort of problems that you have then if it is, then we can help you. If not, then that's fine as well. But it's like, we're really confident in our services and our team and what we do. And we know we can get like these amazing results for people and create these big communities and super fans and genuinely help artists, brands, companies, whatever, like achieve some amazing stuff. And this is how much that it costs to do that thing. And like, when, but, you know, I think maybe the first time that we were doing it, when you get to like the price page at the end, you'd be like, so you press the button on that one, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, you don't even want to do it. And and now we're just like, that. it's not even a, that's not even a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just straight. So this is how much all this sort of stuff that we talked about will cost. Like if that fits, then that's great, you know. Typically, it's, how many proposals did you used to win when you just sent them out as a PDF, do you think? It's difficult to say. It was more sporadic, got, wasn't it? Yeah, once you got to proposal level, maybe 30 to 50%. Mm-hmm. Some people would, would just not get back. Some people you chase. Well, and a big thing is that once they've, you know, you've had a little conversation and maybe you've not gone through all of their like fears about working with us. And so they get the proposal like, well, it's quite expensive. Like, I don't know, I'll just, I'll, I'll, let's try and chip them on that because yeah. oh, I could do this bit. I mean, I could, we, we could, we could do this part of it and save some money there. So they just come back with it. Whereas if we're doing that live and direct it, we're on a, be it in person or on a kind of Zoom with, with a presentation, we can ask them those questions and sort of say, you know, what is it that you're uncomfortable with? Or, you know, what are the sort of worries about doing this and all these kind of things. But there's no opportunity to sort of go away and go, oh, I don't know, let's just, let's just try and chip them on price or let's have a think about it in six months kind of thing. And, and that's, again, it's not about being salesy and trying to sell to people. It's genuinely coming now from a place of, of like help. Mm-hmm. And that's like massively liberating, isn't it? Going into a call, knowing that you're not trying to sell someone something, you're trying to like help them. And we're only working with people that we know we can make massive differences for. So it's like, yeah, that mindset has been. I think as well with huge. proposals, it's the same with anything, whether it's business or even if you get any car fix or anything like that, you don't read the proposal. You just skim to the Straight bottom to of the it. Price. Right, how much is it going to cost me? It's, it's always the first question. It'd be, or if you're going to, 
apply for a new mortgage, you don't care about anything else, right? What's the interest rate? And I think you always said as well that you don't know the mindset of the person that you're sending that to, what they're doing. Are they at home just chilling in front of the TV and they might have been in a good mood and looking and go, oh, that seems reasonable. Or are they running around and they've got, you know, the kids moaning at them and they're trying to make the tea and it pops up just and your phone and is on. Yeah. Nah, that's, that's, that's crazy if they think I'm going to pay that. And it, and it really, and we're not in control of that, of when they see that proposal. So I think that was a key thing. Mm. And so it sounds like before you'd still win like 30 to 50%, but maybe some of that time they would actually knock you down on price or you get the kind of clients that just wanted this specific thing and you didn't have control of like the entire process, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I also think probably the proposals were sent maybe because it was a bit more sporadic and there were fewer of them. They were maybe the more warm leads anyway, yeah, they're already so warm, if, that, yeah. if that makes sense. So... I think we'd probably be happy with 50% now, but I think now it feels like, no, we're like going after people more. And, mm. and there's, a, 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 there's a set sort of strategy and a sort of process to everything. Whereas before it would be like, oh yeah, we know them or they're like a mate of a mate and, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and that's, what, that's probably were, why, again, yeah. there was a lot more, it was less business. Ones, there were still ones essentially that the phone had rung because we weren't, we yeah. had no kind of system for or no real like desire really bizarrely to kind of go after loads of new people yeah so if you just take that strategy as like a standalone thing of like the presentations what would you say are like the major benefits of doing things that way now versus previously it's enjoyable it's, it is enjoyable yeah that if you sort of forget the kind of money and and anything else side of it actually it's made getting new business and working with new people, an enjoyable process. I also think that the type of clients that we're going after and the calibre of client, I think actually they sort of expect that. I think if we're going to sort of, you know, like cowboy DJ or mm. someone who was like, yeah, mate of a mate, to do like a formal presentation feels really at odds with that relationship because it's mm. like, yeah, but we were just like having a beer and now, you, oh, mm. now I've got to sit through a PowerPoint. Whereas I think the calibre of client we're going after now I think if they're going to fork out a decent amount of money over 12, 24 months or longer, well, they sort of expect maybe a bit of like a bit of wooing. And also they expect to know some of the details. In fact, Andy and I did one a couple of weeks ago and you're like always the way through. You're like, oh, like if we kept him engaged, is he still listening? And then he was like, great. Okay. I've written down some questions as, as I've been going. And you're like, oh, right. Oh, he's been listening. And like, oh, he's, it's not just that he's been listening. He's wants to query us on some stuff. And I think it shows you that when you're playing with maybe the bigger boys, that is part of the process and they want to know the full scope of everything rather than just like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll make your radio show and like, you know, and how much is it going to cost? Mm. Yeah. Solve problem solving, isn't it? It's for us, it's like, say, coming from that place of help is massively, massively transformative. That has been the, the big thing for me personally is that I I would never get involved. Like the others will say, like I was, I'm, I was very anti ever getting involved with the new business side of things. Cause it doesn't interest me. Like I the sort of money side of things and all that stuff, stuff is not where my like sort of passions are. I can't get excited about it. And I used to hate the idea of, of like trying to sell someone something or giving a presentation. Now I really enjoy it because it's just, it's actually just me, you know, we met with a, a really exciting big artist yesterday and we were just both, we were both sat at home in our own houses, but on the, this Zoom call with someone who we kind of respect and admire and enjoy the sort of music of and, and see a big future for. And it was nice for us to go, we genuinely think you can, we can help you. And it's just, that's what things are now, isn't it? It's not just, absolutely. it's not about, clients and money and stuff it's about helping people and it's just like a big ecosystem that's really exciting can you think of some other things maybe that there was some resistance around like throughout that journey that 
when you push through was really kind of like beneficial. Can you think of some things we were resisting you on? <laughs> price is a big one, I yeah. think. Letting go of the smaller fish and yeah. up in the prices. Like, I don't know if you can think or even want to discuss on the podcast, but like when we first started, I think your highest package was X, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's almost like almost double that or it's about. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, there was definitely resistance there in some senses. I think what worked for us in the end actually was that we upped those packages by realizing that back to that agency and like that solving problem mindset is that well, you can charge more when you're you're sort of beholden to the outcome with your client mm. and therefore you are providing more service. And so that actually sort of, I think, helped that a bit. It's like, okay, like we're not just doing exactly the same and just making a radio show and all of a sudden overnight, oh, we're going to charge double for it. And we're not like, just we're doing what the client says either. The, yeah, that's it. Yeah. All this extra sort of these extra services whereby like, we're on this journey with you now to your success and these are the things that can help it. And I think we all have that, you know, you always say, Nick, that like you'll do a presentation sometimes. You'll be like, yeah, like we're providing a lot here. Mm. Like there's a lot here. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But there was definitely that resistance because again, it's like, it's that mindset shift and still, I think we still, it's probably could still be the constant journey. I wouldn't say we've like solved it, but you still have that element of, oh, it's fine for us to lose this client. Mm. And like however much you can say that in your head, if you put some like some work into a presentation and mm. there's been a few calls and you think, oh God, they'd be brilliant. But then they come back and they're like, oh yeah, it's a bit too much. Whatever. It's still hard to say, well, yeah, sorry. That's how much like, it is. You know, but we would absolutely would have gone, we'd have gone, oh, we'll come back to you and we'd have had a chat and we'll go, you just knock some money off it. Yeah. Cause we need, we're like, we should get this. It's a good client and like, it looks good for us and you know, it's, it's decent money and stuff. Let's just, let's just do it. And then we'd end up not giving them everything, you know, we'd not be able to do what they needed for that. But so that, yeah, the pricing thing to be able to now say, this is what we're comfortable with. This is what it costs. And you will get good value from that is, um, but it did take a long time to get to there with the money, didn't it? I think all of it's just being able to stand outside your comfort zone on lots of things because we've been working the same way for sort of six, seven, eight years. And you think you know you're doing it right because it, it's worked and there was nothing that wasn't working. So then trying it in a, in a way that felt slightly unnatural does always feel unnatural at the start, but it's amazing how quick something feels unnatural becomes very natural. So I think that can be applied for lots of things moving forward. I think whatever you're told is and to help you, if it was easy, you'd just be doing it now. So yeah, get out of your comfort zone and you soon will be in your new comfort zone. And then the old comfort zone is going to feel really alien. Yeah, exactly. To kind of like wrap things up, what advice would you give to yourself 12 months ago if like you knew you were going to walk back into that office and 12, 18 month version of you was back there just kind of coasting along, didn't think you had any major problems, but, you know, knew that you wanted to kind of have more impact and build a business that you could be proud of. Like what would be a couple of bits of advice that you would give? For my, they sound like cliches, but that really just throwing yourself into it from day one. And I don't think that we didn't do that, but I still think they felt like there was like the sort of easing into it of like, oh, let's suss it all out. Whereas I think if you can just say, right, I'm going to completely sort of like go sort of full beans on this and actually have that belief, because I think so much is, you know, everyone's got their own beliefs about what works, what doesn't work, what they can do, what they can't do. But 
guess if you're entering into this process or you're wanting to do something differently, it's because you haven't done it before and therefore you need that assistance. So yeah, like definitely a sort of go with that flow and commit wholeheartedly. Yeah. It would just be, for me, it would just be more about the most important thing is, is going back to that like place of, of service and help thing. Like I said, as I said before, it's been so transformative, but just as a psychological thing for me to know that whenever we're talking to people and once you've had a conversation, you work out what it is that they, they kind of need, then if we know we can help them, then that, that is like a, it's totally changed how I sort of think about business actually. Yeah. Cause you said that a couple of times, like it's been really transformative for mm. you. Like what has that transformation been for you personally, Andy? Well, not only does it make it easier for, not easier, but it makes it really natural and actually enjoyable to, to give what is essentially a sales pitch to someone where we don't really, you know, we can kind of call it that because again, the whole thing makes the, makes kind of puts our backs up and it makes, it's a bit cringy, but they are essentially sales pitches that we do with people, but it makes them really enjoyable because we're not pushing anything. We're just like, this is what we do. We understand your problems. Tell us about some of your problems and we'll kind of give you some examples of how, how we might be able to get around that. So there's the idea of making those a lot more fun, but like, I think psychologically it gives you massive um, job satisfaction really, because it, it means that every day you know that what you're doing isn't just kind of making something for someone or just trying to pay everyone's bills and you know there's lots of people who work for us so you're kind of worrying about everyone else's rent and mortgages and everything else all that stuff's sort of irrelevant when you've got the job satisfaction as well and you kind of you realize that what you're doing is a genuine help that people enjoy your service that hopefully people enjoy working for us and being part of this team and that you know people want to be you know we do get a lot of inquiries that people want to come and kind of join as well so that sort of thing just understanding the worth and switching that mindset that that what we do genuinely helps people. And it sounds silly, doesn't it? Because when you start a business, you think, well, of course, whatever we do is going to help people, otherwise you wouldn't do it. Like, because people have to want to buy a service because it will help them. But you, it, it's weird how you're not in that mindset of it. Like, you're just in the mindset because you're only seeing it from your side. You're yeah. just seeing like, oh, we need to sell this thing to make this money to pay these bills. And it's really easy to get into that, you know, especially like when there's like COVID times or, you know, times that are coming up now, you know, with the cost of energy and the cost of living and a lot of businesses are going to really sort of struggle. So you do get to that, like, batten down the hatches and let's just worry about the money and the bills and not remember what you do is actually genuinely helping someone. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, the job satisfaction thing is has been mega for that. Yeah. And just quickly before I come on to Nick, like, what do you think you would say to yourself, the version of you that came onto that call, like very skeptical and... I'll always be skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, look, a healthy dose of skepticism is fine. Yeah. And you know, like you won't agree with like every single thing because no one will. Mm. Like I'm sure that, you know, every single person who works with you or, or anything sort of similar who goes on a journey like this, there's not... 100% of things they're going to go, yeah, 100% I'm going to go and do that. I absolutely agree with it. And it's okay to like have like a bit of sort of questioning and skepticism because there'll be often times when I've come back to you and said, you know, or, or Nick has and kind of gone, like, we don't think this will kind of work for us. And we've worked through a, a scenario of that. It's like there isn't always one option. So, you know, I, I would say have a healthy dose of like, not it's not skepticism, but question, you know, and, and make sure that it does work for us. And, but be be open to it, and I think I want you know, 
I think we were open. Yeah, absolutely. Like you weren't uncoachable. Like you weren't hard to work with. I don't think. Like I think if you were that skeptical about it, I don't think we would have done it either. Because yeah, yeah, it was had to be a consensus. But I I think that's a good point because a lot of people do say like one of people's objections are like we're worried that you're going to tell us to do things that are like unethical or that we don't want to do them that way or whatever. So I think like knowing that there is that dialogue where we're figuring out the Mm. right strategy for you at that time. We're not just prescribing. This is how it works for everyone, and like this is the this is the direction kind of thing. Most important thing that you do is ask the questions. Mm. I mean, that is a huge part of, if you forget about everything else and all the kind of backups and, you know, all, all the, the rest of the the sort of cohort that are on a course with you and all the rest of the stuff, the portal things, if you forget all those things, actually it's still the most important thing for us is always just like, is, is having someone at least once a week kind of questioning is going, why, what, how? Mm. and making us think about it and that was probably the most valuable it's getting rid of our own perceptions as well so so you you might suggest something and we'll go no that's not going to work because of this and it's where have you got that mindset from Mm -hmm. that you think that way so you i think loads yeah with with, with, with a lot of things i'll put myself in the in the other person's shoes and think presume yeah presume if they spoke to me like that sent me an email that read that way how would i react if I receive that, and I think I'm always thinking about what the other person's going to be thinking, and yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, well, it's just projection, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's projection. Yeah, cool. Anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? Sounds really wanky, but it is a journey, and I think that just the change of mindset is such a powerful thing, mm. and that, like, you know, that you're not going to get perfect, and that not that we're under any illusions that, oh, we, you do this 12 months and then you come out the other side and you're like, oh my God, all of a sudden you're like Warren Buffett. <laughs> you know, but it's like, and actually I think like some of these things, they're going to take like a lifetime to perfect, but it's having that knowledge that you're like, ah, right, at least this is the end goal. And like bit by bit, we'll get better at this. We'll struggle there and we'll, you know, like we'll try and change those perceptions, mm. but it is just a constant, constant sort of, of learning curve. For but all, and also, sorry, I was going to say like, I probably, in fact, we probably all, not a wobble is the wrong word, but by about four or five months in, there was a bit of an information overload in the fact that we're like, we've got so much to do here. And then you start panicking and kind of, you have to be talked down a little bit because you're like, well, we're doing so many things wrong and we've got so many things that we need to sort of change. It sort of becomes insurmountable again. And you're like, well, this is, how are we even going to start with this? And then you're already, you've, you've not achieved what you wanted to achieve in that last week. And we kind of, you know, you're checking in with people who are kind of on your level who are in the, you know, because we, I mean, I'm sure you'll explain, but you've got the sort of groups of different companies and teams who are all of a similar level. So you check in quite regularly with them. And we were like, oh, shit, well, we're not, we've not even done what we said we were going to do three weeks ago. And that, you just have to sort of let it go and realize that that's okay. And it's not, you're not always going to run at the same speed as everyone else. And there'll be people who are lagging behind you and people that are way ahead of you. And, you know, you just, you just got to kind of go at your own speed and not worry too much and just trust the process with it, I guess. Yeah. It's the dip. So yeah. it's like the, you come in with the informed optimism yeah. and you're like, oh, it's going to be so good. Then you see everything that has to be done. And you're like, oh yeah. my God, like we've got yeah. so much to do. And it's like, can you push through that yeah. to get through the other side? And then, you know. And I say then, it does take a long time, doesn't it? It is, you know, 12 months is, is absolutely what you need for a, a sort of minimum, really. Like we say with a lot of our clients and things like radio syndication, it's like this is a long game and you've got to really kind of work at it and build an audience. And But it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, really, really good. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing a little podcast with me. It was fun to be in the studio. Yeah, and, that's uh, it. Explore some in of that. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully even, you know, if people listening to this 
never even work with us or whatever, hopefully they will relate to some of the things that you're talking about and hopefully it makes them think a little bit more about their business and if they feel like they are coasting a little bit or they've got some things that they've got some resistance around like sales and pricing, then hopefully that would have just given them a little bit of courage to to move forward and push themselves out of their comfort zone. Yeah, that's it. There's a different way. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, man.